It is telling me that it is live right now. This is Jacob Isbell going to be sharing with you your overthrow and destruction. We've got Steve behind the scenes working his magic. Steve, will you put that picture up one more time? The big main one. Uh, we do know from all kinds of big budget blockbuster movies that it has been telegraphed to us many different ways for a long time. Is it going to happen? Do the scriptures teach us such? I would say yes. All right, let's go ahead and do this. I'm sharing my screen with you. Let me zoom in properly. I don't like to prepare PowerPoints, but I do like to kind of prepare documents. And in those, I will make them bigger. I'm going to kind of take you through a little bit of a flow. Let's go ahead and do this. Your overthrow and destruction. These words stuck out to me from the book of Ether, chapters 8 through 20. And some things that I like to point out regarding the author in this section. This is Moroni who doesn't know how many years or days left he's got on the earth. But he does have the records, which is contained, the history and the prophesying and sacred things among the Nephites, but he's left alone. And he realizes, well, I'm not dead yet. Let me go ahead and write the story of the Jaredites for those who are going to have these words in the latter days. The words which he puts. He says, whatsoever nation shall uphold secret combinations. That's been a, quite a theme in our days. To get power, and you know what? Let me zoom in a little bit so you can read these with a little bit more ease. Those who uphold secret combinations to get power and gain until they shall spread over the nation, behold, they shall be destroyed. For the Lord will not suffer that the blood of his saints, which shall be shed by them, shall always cry, unto him from the ground for vengeance, and he not avenge them. Wherefore, O ye Gentiles, we're going to talk about who that is. It is wisdom in God that these things shall be shown unto you, that thereby ye may repent of your sins, and suffer not that these murderous combinations shall get above you, which are built up to get power and gain. And the work, yea, even the work of destruction come upon you, yea, even the sword of the eternal God shall fall upon you to your overthrow and destruction. If ye shall suffer these things to be. So that's what inspired it. But even though it sounds all ominous, I promise this is a message of hope. This is a message which fills the soul with joy, knowing that while things are going to be in upheaval, we know the rock upon which we stand. We're going to be talking to that. So let me do a little bit of an introduction. My name is Jacob Bell. The B in the last name is capitalized. I do a YouTube channel. It's called Disciple of Christ. Got a whole bunch of stuff. And even Steve, who's working the magic behind the scenes, he's been. Go ahead and show my, my uh, screen, Steve, so they can see this. Steve, who's working the magic, he's been a part of different episodes, even interviewed me inside of there. A lot of interviews of people who are on the path. Um, I've also been very active in the freedom movement here in Utah. I've been known to get rather star-spangled with the electric guitar a time or two in front of crowds, as well as being an MC quite a bit. So, But most of all, well, I have been hunted by the communists there in Utah. There's videos on Utah, in, on YouTube, of, uh, of these throwdowns in the streets. I don't want to talk about that too much. Most of all, I love being a missionary for Jesus Christ with all my heart. Uh, part of the reason that I do mention the YouTube channel, I do share my experience because I had my come to Jesus moment in my teenage years. And since then I have followed him. There's things that happen that have made it so I know him and I know that he loves me and I can never turn back. And ever since then, I have never shied away from bearing my witness of the savior, Jesus Christ. I have 
tried to progress as best I can to share a message that would be pleasing unto him, even in preparing this right now. Let me ask this of you because I do see that we've got dozens of people who are already tuned in live. Send a message. Copy that link on whatever you're watching right now. Send a message to some friends and family. There's Q&A at the end. So even if they aren't here for the very beginning of the message, they're probably going to start having fun when they do arrive. And let them be a part of the Q&A. So good stuff. Uh, Martin, good. Hello, good people. And I do know we do have people that are by way of the UK already tuned in. I believe there might be one or two by way of Peru who have tuned in and at least one from Africa as well. So we're getting multi-continental around here. Let's jump into this. There's going to be big things regarding pattern recognition. So I have shared at different times. I, I had an awakening experience, which exploded. Now, I, I felt like I've been following the spirit as best I can my whole life since my teenage years with my ups and downs as goes the way of life. But in January 2020, bam, a life-changing baptism of fire experiences. And one of the things that happened is pattern recognition. When I would pray, I would reckon, usually the spirit would bring to my mind, here are the patterns. And it's usually in the scriptures, and it'll tie into the events that are happening today. I'm going to do my best to help guide us through that. So this presentation is going to have a lot of focus recognizing the patterns in the scriptures. Why? Because the lessons and stories of the scriptures are there because they will all repeat in the last days. Whose days? Our days. One thing that we have to understand, for anybody who is tuned in for, uh, to more than five minutes worth of content on the Doctrine of Christ channel, they know this, but I want to reemphasize the Gentiles in the Book of Mormon, in the majority of situations, I'd even say 80% or more, that term Gentiles is referring to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Let's take us through a quick scripture chain verifying that. This is from the title page of the Book of Mormon. And who is the Book of Mormon to come through? Which is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, that they may know that the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. Also, to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile, the eternal God manifesting himself unto all nations. Oop, that wasn't the one that I wanted to read, even though that's a good one. Ah, that the Book of Mormon is to come forth in the due time of the Lord by way of the Gentile. Who brings forth the Book of Mormon? The Gentiles, by way of them. Second Nephi, chapter 6, verse 26. Whoops, give me. 20, oh, 6, verse 6. I guess this is the one. Um, I will lift up my hand unto the Gentiles. I will set my standard unto the people. Oh, I think I was supposed to go 26. Six. Let's just skip that one because I'll find it a little bit later. Um, chapters 25 through 29, this is Nephi's great commentary on the Isaiah chapters, which he had finished, and he says it unto the Gentiles. So many clues inside of there. We're not going to go through all those chapters, but it is unmistakable. It's talking to those Gentiles who have established a special covenant relationship with the Lord. Second Nephi 30 verses 1 through 3. Let's go ahead and do this one. I think that's going to have it. I'm zoomed in really big, so it's not the yeah, easiest to navigate. Okay, there we go. 30, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to go forward a little bit. Where Nephi is talking to his people. I, Nephi, would not suffer that ye should suppose that ye, my people, are more righteous than the Gentiles shall be. For behold, except ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall all likewise perish. 
And because of the words which have been spoken, ye ye need not suppose that the Gentiles are utterly destroyed. There's a clue right there. The Gentiles are going to be facing the same complete destruction or near complete destruction that the children of Israel went through. For behold, I say unto you that as many of the Gentiles will repent are the covenant people of the Lord. There's a lot of talk about having the covenant path and the people will usually make it a church corporate structured program. But the Lord says, as many as will repent are the covenant people of the Lord. Doesn't matter if you're blood Israel or if you're Gentile mixed blood, the Lord covenanteth with none save them that repent. Skipping forward to verse three, that these things written here are to the Jews and the Gentiles, written unto the Gentiles, believe it. And there's gonna be great things which happen as a result of it. Now, I'm going to leave this one alone for right now. Third Nephi chapter 16, verse 10. It is great cursings that are promised unto the Gentiles unless they repent. And it is talking about a people who are a covenant people of the Lord. And I would ask, are there any other Christian denominations which claim that they have brought forth the Book of Mormon, that they are the covenant people of the Lord, that the Lord is a Zion to them. What we are going to get to in 35, 16, verse 10, probably 10, verses 10 through 13, is going to be the cursings and the destruction promised if we Latter-day Saint Gentiles don't repent. So there's a reason that Nephi was so enthusiastic about Isaiah. Isaiah identifies, here's what happened to the children of Israel anciently. Gentiles. Y'all going to repeat it, every bit of it. And it was so plain that more than once, Nephi tries to sneak in what's going to happen in Isaiah by giving commentary. And the Lord would say, Nephi, stop it. You're not allowed to explain this much. But obviously, Nephi was excited about what was going to happen. But our faith is to be tried to see, are we going to dig into the scriptures to know for ourselves Things that can only be learned when we repent. The Lord softens our hearts and opens our minds, and we learn these lessons. So I do promise this is going to be getting into a message of hope. But first, what is the prophesied destruction? Well, the pattern of the scriptures tells us plainly, especially the Book of Mormon and the Book of Isaiah. I'm going to be playing you a clip because presidents of the church have warned us. Now, I'm an 80s baby. So I didn't get the really good anti-social rhetoric from the pulpit that uh, my dad and the previous generation got. But thanks to the Internet, we do have these things preserved. I'm playing you about 90 seconds of this. The position of this church on the subject of communism has never changed. We consider it the greatest satanical threat to the peace, prosperity, and spread of God's work among men that exists on the face of the earth. Fortunately, we have materials to help us face this great, uh, this threat, such as President McKay's booklet of statements on communism and the Constitution of the United States, Theon Skousen's book, The Naked Communist, which we were advised to read. But the greatest handbook for freedom in this fight against communism and other evils is the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith said that the Book of Mormon was the keystone of our religion and the most correct book on earth. This most correct book on earth states that the downfall of two great American civilizations 
came as a result of secret conspiracies whose desire was to overthrow the freedom of the people. Now undoubtedly Moroni could have pointed out many factors that led to the destruction of the people. But notice how he singled out the secret combinations, just as the church today could point out many threats to peace, prosperity, and the spread of God's work, but it has singled out the greatest threat as the great conspiracy. There is no conspiracy theory in the Book of Mormon. It is a conspiracy fact. And along this line, I would highly recommend to you a new book entitled None Dare Call It, Conspiracy by Gary Allen. Then Moroni speaks to us in this day and says, Wherefore, the Lord commandeth you, when ye shall see these things come among you, that ye shall awake to a sense of your awful situation, because this secret combination which shall be among you. The Book of Mormon further warns that whatever nation shall uphold such secret combinations to get power and gain until they shall spread over the nation, behold, they shall be destroyed. That scripture should alert us to what's ahead unless we repent, because there is no question but that our nation is increasingly upholding the communist conspiracy today We're by gonna, court edict. I'm going to end that section right there. The talks given by Ezra Taft Benson, I, I will let you know that when he was called as an apostle for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, during that time, he did get asked to be the Secretary of Agriculture for the President of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was a war hero and general, having led successful victories over uh, on on two different stages simultaneously against the uh, the German nationalist socialist over in Europe as well as against the imperial Japanese and Dwight Eisenhower called him to be the secretary of agriculture Ezra Taft Benson even had opportunity to give tours against his own advice he told Dwight Eisenhower do not bring communist leader Nikita Khrushchev to the United States but still president brought him teach him a thing or two about agriculture and nikita khrushchev says your children will live under communism however the accent goes and president benson said well he wasn't president at the time but uh elder benson says no my children will live under freedom no they will be communists well, they will not be communists at first but we will feed it to them little by little until one day they wake up and realize oh we already are communists. He was quite prescient. He put out the warnings. If Latter-day Saints that the, say that these men have messages from God for us, they have no excuse for warning what used to be years and even decades of warnings against the satanic communist conspiracy. Well, we're seeing it all over. We're not going to make the connections to what's happening right now so much. We're going to keep digging in to the scriptures. So these are the prophetic warnings. Destruction is going to happen just like the Nephites of old, just like the Jaredites of old. So what is our situation today? Are we in that today as Latter-day Saints have the secret? And you know what? The secret combinations. Let me go ahead and make a comment. Where are we to know that we have it from? Well, the Book of Mormon warns us over and over again. The secret combinations. And there's even more emphasis on it in these last books before the ending of the Book of Mormon. The very end of the Book of Mormon, Moroni says, come unto Christ and be perfected in him. That's the primary message. What is the primary warning? These secret combinations are looking to get over you. Is it just in politics? 
For a long, long time, I thought, oh, I've awakened to secret combinations because uh, the secret combinations I'm supposed to wake up to, it's the communists and socialists that have infiltrated my government and, and the governments throughout the world. Is that the only warning? Is it just man-made governments? I would point to those who are familiar with the LDS endowment. In the drama that's played out there, when Lucifer is about to be cast out, Lucifer, what have you been doing? The same thing that has been done in other worlds. What is that? Giving the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil to them, pointing to Adam and Eve. And he's going to be cursed. I mean, he's so angry, saying, I'm going to place enmity between you, you and the seed of the woman. Well, then with that enmity, Lucifer's puffing his chest, saying, I will. Gather up the treasures of the earth. He's going to have financial success. He's going to own the resources. And I will buy up armies and navies. He's giving us a shopping list. I'm going to own the military might. And then he gives more of the shopping list. False priests who oppress and tyrants who reign with blood and horror. Now, in previous versions of the endowment, it was false popes. But uh, I think that rubbed a little bit too many too many. Uh, too many people the wrong way. So after some focus groups, the uh, the previous wording of false popes and priests was changed to just false priests. False priests who oppress and tyrants who reign with blood and horror. So what's on Satan's shopping list? That was warned to the Latter-day Saints who have received their endowment in the LDS Temple. He's going to gain control over the resources of the world. He's going to purchase military might across the entire globe. He's going to get religious power, and he's going to get political power. Is there anyone who would consider themselves a faithful Latter-day Saint priesthood holder who can ignore such a warning? I would say unto you, no. So let's go ahead and get back into these scriptures. So what is our situation? Let's observe our situation starting with Nephi. First Nephi chapter one. This is literally the very first chapter in the Book of Mormon. And I'm just going to give a summary because I know anybody who's on here, you've probably at least started the Book of Mormon, if not read it mucho, mucho times. In the very first chapter, what's the circumstances? There's millions of people in the same nation. They're covenant people of the Lord. They've got a long history of prophets and prophesying. They've got a great history of miraculous interventions from God on their behalf. The nation itself, it's powerful. It's the envy of the world. It's seemingly invulnerable to foreign adversaries. The temple, the temple, the temple. It is at the heart of the nation with ordinances and sacrifices happening day and night. The recognized and established leaders of the church are the most respected and powerful men of the entire nation. And the members themselves of the church throughout the nation, they enthusiastically keep the religious traditions taught to them by their leaders. That seems like a positive list, doesn't it? Well, what's about to happen? God is about to deliver all of them. And I have to emphasize that every single one of them is facing from God being left to death, destruction, and enslavement unless they repent of their wickedness. Let that sink in. Wait a second. I'm a part of a nation. It's covenant people. I've read about it in the Book of Mormon for a long, long time. I've been going to ward council meetings for the past 10 years in a row. I've got my e-ticket by way of the temple recommend. There's a long history of prophets and prophesying. Us today, didn't we have miraculous events by which we won the revolution? Isn't our nation powerful? Doesn't the whole world look to us? 
we Latter-day Saints, we've got the temple at the heart of our worship. Temple, temple, temple. We shout out with joy when more of them are announced from the pulpit. The recognized and established leaders of the church, my goodness, they hobnob with the leaders of the entire world. And we members of the church throughout the nation, we're keeping everything that we're supposed to be keeping, aren't we? Are we in the same exact situations where God is about to deliver us, all of us? We're literally staring at the sword of destruction, death, and or enslavement unless we repent. I testify in the name of Jesus Christ, and I get humble when I do this, because to invoke the name of Jesus Christ is not something I take lightly. It is staring at us now. We have to repent. Well, repent of what? Let's go ahead and do Isaiah chapter 1, because there starts to be quite a lot Quite a lot that sticks out that warns us of what we are to repent and how we are to get right with the Lord again. In verse, you know what? Let's go ahead and do this. Let's, if they're going to click over here, scriptures, Old Testament, and it's nice that it keeps my annotations. Oh, I just love it. Isaiah chapter one, Cobb, boom. And we're going to go through it in a fast way. And I, you know what? I have to emphasize why I love Isaiah so much. And let me <laughs> let me say a, a little bit about, about Isaiah. Before we jump into those chapters, let's go over real quick into why. So 3 Nephi, chapter 23, Latter-day Saints have a specific warning, to a commandment to search these things. In 3 Nephi, chapter 23, this is glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ saying, Unto the Gentiles that are going to have this, he said, well, he's saying unto the Nephites, but it's also unto us, search these things. What things? Isaiah. He had just finished reciting a, a whole chapter from Isaiah. I give unto you a commandment that you search these things, the writings of Isaiah, for great are the words of Isaiah. Isaiah spake touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore, it must needs be that he speak also to the Gentiles especially the chapters from Nephi in 1st Nephi and and 2nd Nephi there's there's the patterns over and over again here's what the children of Israel will do anciently that leads to their near complete destruction and then the gentiles are going to be blessed above all other nations and they're going to repeat the same pattern of near complete destruction house of Israel and gentiles all things that he Isaiah spake have been and shall be translation It happened before, and it will happen again in the last days. We're looking at it right now. And I do have to say that I get so enthusiastic about Isaiah. Among my friends, they will lovingly tease me, you read any other chapter other than Isaiah? Well, I had a friend reach out to me, and he's going through the waking up process to where knowing that, hey, we have to repent or else we're not going to make it. I felt desire to give him a challenge in the scriptures. And what did I want to challenge him with? Isaiah chapter one. But as I was about to type him a message and say, read Isaiah chapter one, I could feel the spirit telling me, don't get that specific. Let him get prayerful about it. So I wrote him a message to this effect. Hey, my buddy, I was about to challenge you to read a certain chapter in the scriptures, but that was a bit presumptuous of me. I'm just going to give you a loving challenge to get prayerful on what you should be studying right now. He wrote back saying, thanks. And then two days later, he writes me a message that says, 
dude, I just read Isaiah chapter one. Are you serious? And so what I was about to suggest to him, it was what the spirit told him to do. And it was very, very nice. Okay. So now we're getting into Isaiah chapter one. It's unto all the world. Hear ye heavens, O earth, the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children. That's a covenant relationship. And they have rebelled against me. The Lord's children are rebellious. These two words, ox and ass. I get to say bad words on here. No. So the ox on the ass represent two different things. The ox is a pure blood animal representing Israel. Oops, let me get rid of this. Pure blood animal representing Israel. The ass is a mixed animal representing the mixed blood of the Gentiles. So in verse three right here, it is saying the ancient Israelites know their owner. And the Gentiles, their master's crib, but my people don't know me. It's talking about the animal saying, both ancient Israel and Latter-day Saint Gentiles, you got to repent. Verse 4, the nation's sinful, they're children of corruptors. That means it's been going on for generations. What's their great sin? They have forsaken the Lord. And remember, this is still, these are like the same circumstances depicted in 1 Nephi chapter 1. The Lord's people, it's a great nation. There's millions of us. We go to the temple all the time. I even sing in the choir. They've forsaken the Lord. Are you serious? I'm going to skip forward. Uh, in verses five, the whole head is sick, referring to the leadership. The whole heart is faint, referring to the membership. All of it. It's bruised. Nothing's getting better. It's saying not only is it apostate, but it is getting worse. What's going to happen? Verse seven, your country is desolate. Your city's burned with fire. Foreigners come in and devour it in your presence. It's overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left behind to be taken advantage of by the foreign invaders. And except for the remnant that will be saved, it would be complete destruction like Sodom and Gomorrah. What does the Lord say in Isaiah about the rulers over the church? Ye rulers of Sodom. What does he say about the people who follow them? Ye people of Gomorrah. And now. The Lord lays the smackdown regarding their temple observances. What's with all your sacrifices unto me? I am full of burnt offerings of rams, the fat of beasts. I delight not in the blood of lambs or of goats or anything that you are doing in the temple. Who commanded you to do this? Stop bringing these vain oblations. I don't want to have anything to do with your religious ceremonies and observances. The Lord says it is iniquity. All of it, even the solemn meeting. And he tells them, you need to make yourselves clean. You need to do well. Stop doing evil. Start to do good. He uses the word seek judgment. It would be more accurately understood as seek justice, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. So he gives them some, some specific actions. Those who can't stand up for themselves, you stand up for them. And the Lord says in verse 18, come now, let us reason together. I like Gilead's translation. It says, come now, let us put it to the test. Though your sins, which are about to leave you completely wiped out, though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. Though they be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, these destructions fall on you. How is it that you've become an harlot? You've turned away to other gods. Here's one that I love that's a part of a different one, but um, 
this part right here that says, I will restore thy judges as at first and thy counselors at the beginning. This is reference to the return of the servants. That's not going to be my discourse, but I'm saying Isaiah saw it and he put it in chapter one. They, the wicked nation, the membership of the church, they shall be ashamed of the oaks which they have desired. And they shall be confounded for the gardens. These trees, these great oaks and cedars, they represent in Isaiah's imagery the leaders that we place above us. This is a way that the Lord is saying, the people that you're propping up saying, these are our great leaders. We will, a lot of us already are, ashamed of them as we're required to repent. Isaiah doesn't pull punches. And if the only thing that you read praying to God that you would know what it is meant to say to you, you don't have any excuse. It's full-blown apostate. And if we don't repent and return to the Lord, we don't make it. Those are just my notes regarding there. Now, so the Gentiles, what's the warning that we have going on? Well, we're told that if we seek for riches, now this is Doctrine and Covenant section 38. This is a message unto the Latter-day Saint Gentiles, quite literally the Latter-day Saints in the days of Joseph Smith. We can have the riches of eternity, which manifests itself in, in temporal success and prosperity like the world doesn't even know, as well as the spiritual prosperity. And we are warned, you Latter-day Saints, beware of pride, lest you become as the Nephites of old. You ready to take a little bit of inventory on how we have done as a people, whether we've humbled ourselves, called upon the Lord to know him. Think about those first couple of verses in Isaiah chapter one. Those who are right with the Lord, they know him. They hear his voice. They follow it. They receive the ordinances necessary, the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, the knowledge of Jesus Christ until he presents us to the Father and we have our calling and election made sure. Those were principles once taught by those who actually understood them in the church. Something happened. So what's happened since the days of old? Well, let's go to the great warning. The, does the Book of Mormon tell us what the outcome of these warnings will be? Let's go right now to Mormon chapter 8. And again, this is the voice of a mourning man. And I'm saying mourning, M-O-U-R-N. This is somebody who's devastated. He and his father were the only people known among the Nephite nation who still had a testimony. Mormon goes and leads the apostate Nephites into battle, and they're all wiped out. And now Moroni says, you, Latter-day Saint Gentiles, I speak unto you as if you were present, and yet you are not. But behold, Jesus Christ has shown you unto me. I know you're doing. Do we have good news or bad news from him? I know, because Jesus has shown me, you do walk in the pride of your hearts. And there are none, save a few only, who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts. Unto the wearing of very fine apparel, unto envyings, strifes, malice, and persecutions, and all manner of iniquities. Your churches, yea, every one, have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. You love your money, your substance, your fine apparel, the adorning of your churches, more than you love the poor and the needy. Let me bring you back to what we just read. 
in Isaiah chapter 1 when he says, you people don't know me and you have to know me. You need to stand up for the oppressed, the fatherless, and the widow. The same thing is being told here. You love the outward appearances of your clothing and your buildings more than those who need to be served by you. And he says, oh, ye pollutions. Remember, I have to emphasize, this is what Jesus showed him. Oh, ye pollutions, you Latter-day Saint Gentiles, you hypocrites, you teachers. And I don't excuse myself from this one bit. This is Moroni giving words that he's authorized to give from Jesus Christ to me. You hypocrites, you teachers, who sell yourselves for that which will canker, canker. Why have ye polluted the holy church of God? Is he talking about the other Christian churches who have never had the fullness of the gospel and reject the Book of Mormon? No. He's talking to those who have a testimony that the Book of Mormon contains the words of Jesus Christ unto them for them to wake up to their situation today. And he says, why have you polluted the Holy Church of God? Why are ye ashamed to take upon you the name of Christ? That's covenant language. To take upon us the name of Christ is describing what happens when we actually receive the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. So what's the status of the Latter-day Saints today? We, collectively and individually, are ashamed to take upon us the name of Christ. We love the outward appearances of it. We love to dress up nice. We love these beautiful buildings. But we don't receive what we need to. That's our status. Are we warned in other places inside of the Book of Mormon? There is a warning unto the Latter-day Saint Gentiles that probably a lot of you are familiar with, and if you're not, you need to be. I'm going to give a little bit of emphasis. Shortly before my first son was born, so this was a little bit more than eight years ago, these verses that I'm about to read to you were shared with me in a dream. I had already had spiritual experiences to where this started to slap me awake to a certain degree, not to the degree that I needed to yet, as I read these verses. And I'm pausing for a moment to say a quick prayer to see if I, if I have authorization to share this dream. No, I'm not going to share the dream, but I'll share with you the verses that happened inside of the dream. We're going over to 3 Nephi, chapter 16. Again, this is glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ. And he's putting a certain level of authority that we cannot take lightly. Thus, the, thus commandeth the Father that I resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ, should say unto you, at that day when the latter-day saint Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel. What is the fullness of the gospel? It is. We are baptized by water as a symbol that we're willing to enter into the covenant. We are baptized by fire and by the Holy Ghost as we literally take upon us the name of Jesus Christ and are sealed to him. And we follow Jesus Christ until he presents us to the Father and receive eternal life. And there's nothing else. There's no other gospel. And if anybody teaches you a different gospel than that, you know that they're not built upon the rock of Christ. Let me go back. If you shall, if these Latter-day Saint Gentiles, if you Latter-day Saint Gentiles shall sin against my gospel, reject the fullness of my gospel to literally know me and shall be lifted up in the pride 
of their hearts above all nations, above all the people of the whole earth, and shall be filled with all manner of, this is a list. We've got to take this seriously and see if this applies. Latter-day Saint Gentiles filled with all manner of lyings and of deceits and of mischiefs and all manner of hypocrisy and of murders and of priestcrafts and of whoredoms of secret abominations. If they shall do all these things and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. Let me word it slightly differently and give you the challenge to say, Heavenly Father, is this an accurate interpretation of it? When the Latter-day Saint Gentiles shall reject the path by which we receive the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ being the gatekeeper, and then follow his voice until we know him personally in this life, and follow until he presents us to the Father, and we are received into the Father's kingdom. If we Latter-day Saints reject that, we lose the fullness. When's the last time you've heard anybody who claims to be leading you and speaking in the name of the Lord heard any of them say, I know the Lord, and he invites you as well? Was that what was offered to the Latter-day Saints previously? I'm going to share with you the following. Doctrine and Covenants, section 84. Again, I'm pointing out patterns in the scriptures because they apply to us in our day, and we are to see, holy cow, it's happening again. Doctrine and Covenants section 84, oftentimes it's referred to as the oath and covenant of the priesthood. I'm going to insert some words inside of there and give you the challenge to, to go over these again and say, Heavenly Father, does this apply to me this way? We did read in 3 Nephi chapter 16, if the Latter-day Saints who once had the fullness of the gospel reject it, well, here's what happened to the children of Israel anciently. It's repeated again in our day. And this is the voice of the Lord via his prophet, Joseph Smith. I'm going to insert some words so you can see the connection to our history today. Now, this Moses and Joseph Smith plainly taught to the children of Israel and Latter-day Saint Gentiles in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify their people that they might behold the face of God. Again, I got to ask, When's the last time you've heard anybody who claims to be leading you to God say you are meant to behold the face of God? Well, that's just figurative, is it? But they, Latter-day Saints and children of Israel anciently, hardened their hearts and could not endure the Lord's presence. Therefore, the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wills. Rest is the fullness of his the Lord's glory. We're told, behold the face of God, enter into the rest, which is the fullness of his glory. Well, the children of Israel rejected it anciently, and the Latter-day Saints rejected it in their day. So what happens? So the Lord took Moses and Joseph Smith out of their midst, and the holy priesthood, refer, oops, got to sign in to make sure it keeps those annotations. It signs out after so long. Oh, and I got to go back on a roll, and it flubbed me up. Go away. They took the prophet out of their midst, and the holy priesthood also. The lesser priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, continued, which priesthood holdeth the keys of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. I'll go ahead and end that part right there. So we see. 
3 Nephi 16, they were warned, you Latter-day Saints who are going to have the fullness of the gospel, if you reject it, you are going to lose it. Well, who is it that's going to be saved? Again, in in 2 Nephi 26, what we read earlier, all those who covenant with the Lord, who actually seek to know him, they're going to be those who are taught what it means to repent and to know the Lord. Oh, it's these verses. Verses 26, 20 through 22. We already read that. So now, we know that the Book of Mormon warns us what's going to happen to the Latter-day Saint Gentiles. Well, does Jesus Christ in the New Testament also tell us what the outcome of that warning is going to be? Let's go ahead and get to it. I put that question because, yeah, let's go ahead and read it. I'm going right now. Now, if you're going to read something from the Joseph Smith translation, it is not the easiest to find. If you're using your digital application or the website, you go over to Study Helps, and you're going to find Joseph Smith Translation Appendix, and you're going to go over to JST Matthew. Let's go to 21. Let's get to the verses that pertain to us. Verily I, this is Jesus Christ speaking, say unto you, this is, the, this is the New Testament. So this is him speaking unto his disciples because they wanted to know what's going to happen in the last days. I, Jesus Christ, am the stone. And those wicked ones, referring to the children of Israel anciently, reject me. I am the head of the corner. These Jews shall fall upon me and shall be broken. And the kingdom of God shall be taken from the children of Israel anciently and shall be given to a nation bringing forth the fruits meaning the Gentiles. Wherefore, on whomsoever this stone, which is Jesus Christ, shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. Here we go. And when the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, he will destroy those miserable, wicked men and will again let his vineyard unto other husbandmen, even in the last days, whose days, our days, last days, who shall render to him the fruits in their seasons. And then they, the disciples which were here, this, they understood the parable which he spake unto them, that the Gentiles of the last days, they should be destroyed also when the Lord should descend out of heaven to reign in his vineyard. There's been plenty of discourses on the Doctrine of Christ channel regarding the parable of the redemption of Zion in both sections 101 as well as the commentary in section 103 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Go through those sections on your own. You may even enjoy some of the discourses here, but it's the same parable to which the Lord warns. The covenant Gentiles end up getting destroyed, most of them. There's going to be a remnant left of the Gentiles who repent as well. Has this been a hopeful message? Not so much to this point. Let's get to the hope that we have in Christ. What is it that we need to do? We have to repent. If we don't repent, we do not make it. There's some things for us to do. There's a certain sacrifice that's required of us. And let's go to it. I'm going right now to 3 Nephi, and I'm going to chapter 9. Now, remember, when I was reading in Isaiah a little bit ago, the Lord is saying, I don't want any of the things that you're doing, the things that you're doing in the temple. It's abomination to me. It's iniquity to me. So what does the Lord ask of us? None of these physical outward observances. All ye that are spared because you were more righteous than they, this is referring to the Nephites and their great destruction and the small, small percentage that were saved. It is a type and shadow 
of the Gentiles of our whole nation and the nations of the world that are going to be saved when the great destruction happens. Will you now return unto me and repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you? Yea, verily I say unto you, if you will come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. My arm of mercy, says Jesus Christ, is extended towards you. And whosoever will come, him will I receive. And blessed are those who come unto me. I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I created the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. I was with the Father from the beginning. I am in the Father and the Father in me. And in me hath the Father glorified his name. I came unto my own, the children of Israel anciently, and they received me not. And the scriptures concerning my coming are fulfilled. And as many as have received me, to them have I, become, have I given to become the sons of God. Even so will I do to as many as shall believe on my name. I'm going to give some commentary. Steve, keep it on, this, on these verses here. To become the sons of God. I would have you remember the great intercessory prayer in John chapter 17 in the New Testament. He says, I pray not for the world. I'm praying for the disciples that you, Father, have given me. I pray that they might be one with me. And he's offering a prayer on their behalf by which those disciples, having gone through great tribulation and trials that are still going to grieve their souls, Jesus pleads their case, and they become sealed as the sons of Jesus Christ. I would also refer you to the book of Mosiah, chapters 4 and 5, to where a mighty change was wrought upon the people of King Benjamin. They had revealed to them their own lost and fallen nature. They called upon God with the level of faith by which Jesus Christ pled their case, and they were sealed unto him. As King Benjamin tells them, this day have you been begotten sons and daughters unto Jesus Christ. He's extended his name unto you and you're taking it on you. This is the same thing that Jesus Christ is now offering. As probably, I don't know, I wonder if it was 90% of the Nephites that are now destroyed. Those who are still alive but trapped in darkness. Will you come unto me now? Because as many as received me, I have given unto them to become the sons and daughters of God. Even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. For behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me the law of Moses is fulfilled. In verse 19, I bring this up to answer what we were digging into earlier. If the Lord in Isaiah chapter 1, talking to the ancient Israelites, but also screaming unto us Latter-day Saint Gentiles, says, your temple observances are iniquity to me, what is it that we're to offer? And Jesus tells us, you Latter-day Saint Gentiles, if you're going to be saved, stop offering up unto me your previous observances that somebody else told you to do. That's my commentary. Your sacrifices and burnt offerings, the things that you do in the temple, are to be done, in the, are to be done away. For I, the Lord, will accept none of those sacrifices and burnt offerings. You Latter-day Saint Gentiles, are to offer for a sacrifice unto me, Jesus Christ, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. 
And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost, even as the Lamanites. Because their faith in me at the time of their conversion, they were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. And again, you're going to notice that is a theme that happens over and over again. What times are we in? This is a time of preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's going to be amazing spiritual gifts that are unlocked, which we don't currently get to witness, except for some who are incredibly faithful. And I'm not saying that I'm one of those. But this baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, it is a miraculous ordinance which takes place. Having experienced a small portion of it, I know what the miracle is to be forgiven of my sins, to where my desires to sin got ripped out from me. Not one bit in my heart or in my mind, the things which used to plague me. Jesus offers that to us now. If we think, I already know the program because it's written in this manual or it's taught to me by this man or woman, we don't make it. We have to hear the voice of the Lord for ourselves. And what is he going to tell us? A personalized version of this. Abandon your false traditions and listen to me, the Savior's going to say to you. And the Savior's going to give you a version of, I want your heart and your spirit. I want your heart broken and your spirit contrite. It has to do with leaving our will and doing the will of the Father. The pride inside of us says, my will. A broken heart and contrite spirit says to the Lord, thy will be done. The same way that the Savior Jesus Christ subjected his will to the will of the Father in all things. Father, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If we do that, we make it through these times of destruction that are at the doors now. I was going to be hitting a little bit more on uh, on how bad our circumstances are today, but I do recognize through the Spirit that most of those that are in attendance, you've been paying attention to it. I'll end with my testimony that the Savior Jesus Christ lives. Let me give you one more bit of instruction on how to invite him to reveal to you what's necessary to repent and return. Train yourself how to have a prayer in your heart always. I'll share this one personal story. When I was a young missionary, about one year in the mission field, I had heard at a general conference these words, and they they struck me deep in my heart. Words to the effect that if it were not for the atonement of Jesus Christ, all of this would be for naught. And I heard different messages. That's what hit me, hit me, hit me. But I realized I don't understand the atonement. Not the way that I need to. I mean, I believe these things, but I don't understand this. And I also recognized I don't have enough desire to understand this yet. So I knew I needed to pray for the desire. And I started to keep a prayer in my heart. I would kneel down in the morning. I would say, Heavenly Father, please bless me to have more desire to understand the atonement. And then I would keep that in my heart throughout the day. To where whether I'm waiting at a door as I'm about to knock again, I certainly love to track as a missionary. I would offer that prayer throughout the day. Heavenly Father, please help me to have more desire to understand the atonement. Lunchtime, I would usually escape to the bathroom or somewhere where I could find a little bit of, of solitude, and I would offer the prayer again. Heavenly Father, help me to have more desire to understand the atonement. And then at night, I would offer that prayer again on my knees. So at least three times a day on my knees, and I would pray for it throughout the day as I maintained it, what felt like here in my heart. After a few weeks, it might have been a month, I realized 
there it is. It's grown. I desire to understand the atonement. And I could feel the spirit tell me, you are allowed to change your prayer. My prayer now became naturally, Heavenly Father, please help me to understand the atonement because I desire it. And every morning, lunchtime and night, he would be on my knees. And throughout the day, I would carry this prayer in my heart. Heavenly Father, please help me to understand the atonement. And I kept that with me for weeks. And I could feel the desire grow and grow. It was pleasing to me because I realized this is getting somewhere. I can feel the spirit of the Lord working with me. And I remember there was a time there in, in Ames, Iowa, where I was serving. There was four of us missionaries inside of the room, and all of us were hardworking missionaries. I even believe it was Christmas and winter time. And I went to bed slightly earlier than the other missionaries for no particular reason. And I knelt down to offer my prayer like I normally do at night as a young missionary. I was only 20. And I don't remember how long it took. I don't think it took but a moment. I got enveloped in a visionary experience. I could see throughout my whole mind and throughout my whole heart, and I could feel enveloped throughout my whole body as I saw a portion of what the Savior suffered on my behalf. It was a scene similar to an LDS painting that most of us may have seen of Jesus Christ pleading in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not only did I see that, I could hear words that were offered specifically on my behalf. As the Savior pled, saying, I need you to live. I need you to live. I could feel the intensity of his love towards me personally. And there was no other thought or concern other than my salvation when he pled for me personally. It ended shortly after that. It may not have been very long, according to the standards of if somebody was setting a stopwatch, but it was a moment that was transcendent. It was as if the space-time continuum stopped as I was able to have that shown to me in a visionary experience. My testimony changed. During a young missionary, as a young missionary, I would say sincerely, I believe these things are true. I believe the Savior Jesus Christ lives because I felt the Spirit tell me. And I would use the word that I believe because I did not. I didn't recognize authorization from the Spirit to say I know these things. After that testimony given to me, I can testify, not testify to you, that the Savior, I know the Savior Jesus Christ lives. He calls to you and he calls to me to repent. These things I leave with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.